welcome to the 21st episode of In The Between. My name is Nadia. And this is Danny. And today we're going to talk about a project that Danny's been working on. Um, and recently it was published in Female Magazine. For Amazing. The- yeah, for their Fashion Meets Art issue, right? Mm-hmm, for yeah. January. Mm. Yeah, and it's really cool. Like the cover was photographed and styled in such a way that the model has this kind of Marie Antoinette hair which mm-hmm. is very fitting with with one of the first things that inspired this project. So I'm working with this artist called Stephanie J. Bird, who explores a lot of issues around girl culture, femininity. And we've been friends for a while and just always have chatted about fashion and all the things that we love and decided to do an exhibition about it. Mm. Yeah. When is the exhibition going to take place? So we're... Going to launch it for a weekend at the end of April, and it's going to be totally self-funded. But there would be um, some screenings and like things that we're gonna do beforehand. So, for example, on February the fourteenth, which is Valentine's Day, we're hoping to do a screening of a Sofia Coppola film. Okay. Have you watched Coppola's films? Uh yes, yeah. The, I think Marie Antoinette for sure. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. And something about suicide. Oh, is yes, the Virgin Suicide. The Virgin Suicide, yeah. yes, exactly. So Sofia Coppola has for a long time been seen as a very just all-style, no-substance kind mm. of filmmaker. And and because of her close links with fashion, like she's great friends with like Marc Jacobs and a lot of fashion designers um, and even directed... Um, a fashion film for mm. Daisy, the Marc Jacobs fragrance. So in the whole 2000s to 2010s, it was just like, okay, Sofia Coppola. But now, I don't know, but there seems to be like a new resurgence uh, looking at her work. Maybe there's something in in visual culture that resonates with it. For example, she's going to be the first filmmaker to make a film for Apple TV. Mm-hmm. And there's this this uh, writer called Anna Beckman Rogers that dedicated a whole book studying her films. And it's really, really good. I really enjoy the visual analysis in it and how it's talking about treating film as a surface and just studying the surface of something instead of always thinking that there is a that we should be looking deeper into like let's say the characters or the narrative. But to look at the surface as something that can tell us something about the characters instead. Hmm. That sounds really good. I mean, we're always thinking more about context mm-hmm. and like, you know, what's the plot? Um, how do the characters like drive the plot forward? Um, yes. And how does it exist in that realm? And then we don't really think about the veneer of things and how that's mm. important and how that could stand on its own. Yeah. So for example, for The Virgin Suicide, she does like this visual analysis of, of course, the composition of the images like is it referencing an artwork is Mm. it but also technical aspects like when it cross dissolves into another image and or like the lighting and then she'll talk about how um those things are giving ideas about this character about what it's trying to say in beyond this uh, through the surface of it that's fascinating yeah it's really good another key work that inspired me was um Amy Delahaye's A Family of Fashion, The Mezzles' Six Generations of Dress. Have 
no, heard I haven't this heard before. No. So basically, it's this. It's literally six generations uh, of women mm-hmm. who kept their wardrobes like wow. intact, and even with like some cards and postcards that they left with the garments. Mm-hmm. And it really inspired me because Amy, when Amy was teaching us, she spoke about how there was this particular instruction from one of the Mezel sisters that said that um, don't remove the stains from the dress. So even the lipstick stains mm. or anything that was left over and don't make it pristine because she says, the the writer said that those things make the character of the item. Mm. And so it, it inspires me to think about worn out garments or things that are, that are not in pristine yeah. Um, condition mm. and and how to exhibit these things and create like potential narratives out of it. Mm. So I think I told you I was like scouring eBay and looking for trims and bits and bobs from from history to kind of exhibit as objects in the exhibition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really like that idea of um, keeping the stains because those are remnants of um, lived experiences, right? Wearing the clothes. Yes. Um, I'm always, I think I've said this more than once, like fascinated by sweat stains <laughs> um, in clothing archives. Yeah. Because yes. I, yeah, they make me think about, you know, um, how the person must have been doing something, you know, rigorous or, you know, the weather was really hot and it just evokes you know, a scene around this dress or this piece of clothing that is more than the clothing, right? It has enabled someone to live um, and experience things. And that's what makes it so interesting as an object. Yeah. There is also, when I was doing my MA in fashion curation, there was, they were also talking about um, this renewed interest in exhibiting things that were not in pristine Condition. So Amy Delahaye has been doing this since the beginning of her career, but she had an exhibition that was only featuring garments that were going to be, that were in pieces. And that's because museums will usually get rid of those pieces uh, when they are tarnished or they are like falling apart. And it's because clothing does degenerate over time. But instead of getting rid of it, she was like, giving them extra attention in the exhibition and it was very beautiful. There was also this, also the idea of like what museums consider worthy of exhibiting or of collecting and buying. Um, thinking in this way is like going against what a um, normal collector would think about, right? And there was this specific um, person, this project called Sentimental Value by Emily Spivak who wrote this book called Worn Stories and she went on eBay and collected items based on stories that people had about the item. So if your item has a story, then she will buy your item and ask you for the story. Mm. So that was really interesting because you're not collecting things because of how they look like or how valuable they are only, but also about the memory that somebody has of that item. And Mm. so it's like, yeah, which um, makes it rich, yeah, right? So it's rich in meaning, you know, in value. Yeah. Um, mm. And I guess the other thing was that it's a very practical thing. Like, I, I really want to do a, to try and do an experimental fashion exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I'm based in Singapore and I don't have a lot of access to fashion archives like I did in London. So I would have to source for these items myself. And it's 
quite hard for me to buy like a hundred thousand dollar, eighteen century mantua, <laughs> mantua or something. But it's much easier for me to find, um, these trimmings and mm. lace and these remnants of clothing and create narratives out of them instead to kind of circumvent the fact that I'm in Singapore, I'm here, I don't have access to a lot of these things, but I can still give narratives about these objects and how do they explore femininity. And are you going to place femininity in a more global context or a more regional context? Mm, I feel like a lot of materials and objects kind of are very globally understood already. Mm -hmm. For example, for a long time, pink was, you know, associated with girls and lace. So I don't think there is so much of a very specific regional context yet. Okay. Yeah. In the research at least. And what have you collected so far with these bibs and bobs? <laughs> so I have collected this beautiful <laughs> box um, that comes with a lot of little lace collars and okay. plated collars. And then I, I did the same thing that Emily Spivak did, which was I asked the sellers questions like, oh, do you, especially if in the description they said it belonged to their grandmother, I would ask mm. like, oh, when did your grandma um, collect, do these things, yeah. make these things or collect these things? And do you have any idea where she might have bought them? Right. And, and whether she learned to do this in from a magazine? Just to get some context and see if I could, research further into maybe there was a shop that taught people how mm. to do certain things and and all of them replied me and oh. they all gave me like really good information and they were so generous with it and they will tell me like exact time frames that their grandmas would have lived and yeah. one of them lived in Long Island and then moved to LA and they even told me the exact machine brand that they used mm. and um and the nice thing was that none of these women were seamstresses or professionals. They were just everyday women who made these trimmings to add on to their garments or hand-sewed garments. Mm. So it talks a lot about how production used to look different before. Yeah, And yeah. it's kind of cool because maybe you have a dress and the way to update it for the next season is to just add like a new mm. lace insert or something yeah. like that. Actually, no, it's, it's funny you brought this up because we were just talking about how you have these snap clips on your hair today. Oh, yeah. Like these uh, purple snap yeah. clips. And now that you're talking about these trimmings as well, I'm remembering when I was a girl going to school, my mom would braid my hair um, or tie them in, like, you know, a ponytail or two ponytails, yeah. and she would add ribbons to them. Yeah. You know, I can remember so vividly my favourite ribbons. <laughs> like, I had one which was sort of like a translucent organza-like material with like a really nice kind of semicircle um, scalloping wow. on both ends. And that was my favourite, you know, because it was just so pretty. Yeah. I also had one I liked, which was like green and white checks. Um, and I'm wondering now whether I put them somewhere, you know, and I need to dig, dig these out because it will be such a trip down memory lane because then you invest um, stories in them or like, yeah. you know, you, you remember a time yeah. in your life, you know, yeah. and I remember like in my mum braiding my hair in the morning and how it was such a treat and... You know, going to school and feeling really pretty <laughs> with this and feeling really loved as well. Mm. Um, and I always used to like when I would pull off the ribbon and the rubber band underneath and then my hair would be curly because <laughs> they have been in braids all day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are all these stories, right, um, with these items that become very intimate to our body um, and they give us 
joy and they give us life sometimes, you yep. know, and they make the day go by easier, better, happier. And then after that, you know, they, they retain the stories, you know, that people have to then tell and retell. Yeah. And it's just this little this item. This little thing. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of two things. One about um, wardrobe studies. So the idea of this, this realm of fashion research of wardrobe studies, there, there have been some studies where they would study somebody's wardrobe um, and look at pictures from their childhood. And then they will realize that a lot of the things that they had later in life kind of mirrored the things that they had earlier in life. So, for example, this lady was a bit of a punk when she was younger and she used to wear these boots, like these heel boots or like these narrow boots. And then as she grew older she, and she needed orthopedics, her orthopedic shoes still looked like boots. Mm. Um, so maybe you have like this green check somewhere or this scarlet yeah, hem somewhere. Yeah, I'm thinking now. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I have not changed since I was a child, probably. Well, they're just, like some, my taste they're just some things that remind us of something I feel yeah and I think it would be an interesting project to undertake like a wardrobe audit yeah actually I mean now that we're talking about like femininity which you know we've explored in a previous episode talking about dresses like by Cecily Bunsen or Inika Chu um, when I was a child or like maybe as a teenager I used to love wearing like baby doll tops and dresses (laughs) I like that smock kind of a uh, shape yeah, and I'm so happy now that it has come back in fashion yeah. you know, for a while I was feeling really lost you know that crop top um, sort yes. of time I did not feel that at all <laughs> um, or like the bodycon like mm. bandage avalanche dresses sort of period yeah. didn't feel that at all <laughs> and now it's finally at a point when I'm like I feel so comfortable right like high waisted pants and um, you know peasant uh, dresses and yeah. blouses yeah I feel so comfortable and happy yeah and I think they're here to stay for a while more so yeah yeah <laughs> and what have you um, decided on for exhibition you know beyond what you've just shared yeah so the the name of the project or the collective that we do that we are doing is called a stubborn bloom mm. and that's after a line in um Gertrude Stein's Tender Buttons poem, a book of poetry, and it's a really beautiful um, book anthology of poetry that she did where she found different objects and then she described them with everything except the words that are associated with those objects. And so, and then A Stubborn Bloom also has this idea of like something very feminine and fragile, but at the same time, the stubbornness has this idea of like tension or like strength Mm. and right now we have just these themes and a lot of different shared research and I have some objects Um, I'm still deciding on how we're going to display these items but it really is very driven by materials and soft narratives and another text that I feel kind of really helped me to think about this was um, Barbara Vinken's Eternity on a Dress. Mm. Have you heard of it? No. Um, And then she talks about um, how she talks about how uh, Walter Benjamin spoke about time as a frill on a dress or something Mm. like that. And frills and fashion have always been seen until the 1970s when fashion theorists and writers began writing a little bit about fashion and then finally in the 90s fashion theory was created formally 
have always seen fashion as a very feminine and domestic thing, but have with the turn in like more researchers, look, female researchers even looking into fashion, we've started to understand that fashion and domesticity and like female matters can tell us a lot of things about culture, mm. visual culture. So that helps a lot. Yeah, but in terms of what exactly it's going to look like, I'm not sure. It's just, I guess, right now more of a conversation about femininity, about, yeah, memories that we have because we embody mm-hmm. we embody that, right? We're, we've been socially feminized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and these things are quite shared experiences, I feel. Mm-hmm. And certain materials do remind us of things, of certain memories we've had what does it mean to you to be feminine then like personally Mm, I think I'm I haven't really thought about the personal part of it but I've just been doing like very historical research about what femininity means and like the word was first used in the middle ages even and it was again a thing attributed to women and Mm. because women had a certain position in Society, so it was the anything feminine was associated with things that were domestic, mm-hmm. that were of le- had lesser power, were more fragile, and as I was speaking to you earlier, also feminine feminine attributes are not just given to women, but anything that is seen as like inferior to men mm. or like not powerful, so a feminine yeah. man, for example. Yeah. So are you trying somehow to also see femininity as something strong and powerful and things that might not, you know, we be yeah. usually associated with the word? I think so, but also the fact that there even in the prettiness and the femininity and the softness that it there is no shame in that. Like there mm. is something yeah, strong in it itself. Um, a very good film by Coppola that talks about this is The Beguile, which is on Netflix now. And it's this... it The women are, like, hyper-feminine, and they are all in this, like... They, they seem almost like themselves in distress, but you can see their... Almost, like, their danger and their power also being um, shown through the movie. I will not spoil it for you, but... Okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds really exciting and it's also such a good space to think about things that, you know, you're interested to research. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I've been going down the rabbit hole on different things. Like, I even came across this amazing article about limerick gloves, like limerick Mm -hmm. in Ireland, and how these gloves were made with a certain calf leather and they could be uh, wrapped and put into a walnut. What? Yeah. That sounds so whimsical. Yeah, I know. And... And they were given as gifts of exchange and they were very, very coveted items. Like, like people would owe huge favours just to uh, obtain one of these gloves. Okay. And the, the researcher of this piece was also talking about how, in general, um, things like gloves and hats and shoes, well, maybe not shoes, they've been studied quite a lot, and this kind of like trims or accessories in of fashion have not been researched as much as like hemlines or like silhouettes, mm. you know. But they also tell us so much about how these objects are seen as objects of exchange, of affection. Yeah. Or, yeah. Definitely. Well, it sounds all very fascinating and I cannot wait to hear more as <laughs> you develop the idea further with Stephanie. Thank you. 
So I think that's all from us yes. for this episode. Thank <laughs> you very much for listening in. Um, and if you like what you hear, please follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do subscribe, give us a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to see um, images that relate to what we speak about during the podcast episodes, you can uh, see them on our Instagram account, In The Vitrine. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.